and welcome to episode 6 of The Great Underreaction, a satirical sports podcast hosted by me, Andy Seaton, and Callum White. This week, we ask the question, is the Premier League still competitive? We investigate one UFC fighter's unusual pre-fight rituals, we cover a trope of the week, and then try and predict the future. To tide us in, let's go with Luis Suarez and the Ewok Scream. Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Every morning gotta go and get the paper. And a nice cup of coffee. Order one with two espresso shots and it calls. Okay, welcome to episode six of the Great Underreaction podcast, the satirical sports podcast with me, Callum White, and as always, Andrew Ernesto Seaton. Andrew, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, This is the section on the show notes that's intro and pithy banter. Oh, sorry. uh, I'm actually not okay. I've got a bit of a cold, but I am drinking gin and tonic (laughs) anyway, which is a mistake, I think. We were were delayed starting this podcast because I, for some reason, was sitting on the sofa and decided that the best place to put my gin and tonic was to balance it on my crotch and then relocated the liquid to the rest of my crotch. So that was <laughs> one of like the world's most predictable accident ever. And I just don't even know what happened. I just sort of watched as the cup tipped all over me. Did you start, was it because you started pitching a wee tent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were watching, um, we were watching David Attenborough and I just, just really enjoyed <laughs> What were you watching? Um, the the one about the North and South Poles. It's not. It's not Blue Planet. It's not Planet Earth. It's <laughs> Cold <don't> Planet. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> remember which one? It's, snow. it's not Cold Planet though. <laughs> it's not Snow Planet. Snow place like uh, home. Frozen <laughs> Planet. Frozen Planet. Okay, I've not seen that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it's really good, yeah. yeah. No, Lots no of polar bears just like slumping about having a shit time. Oh, um, so that was, that I think is uh, our pithy banter for the day. Congratulations, everyone. Yeah, no, I'm so, saying it now. Um, at the top of the running order, we're going to say this episode will be under one hour. I've said it there. Okay, let's do it. We're if it's not, I'll just edit that out. <laughs> You, you leave me alone in post, man. Leave me alone in post. If we can erase, if we erase our failures, how are we ever going to get better? By erasing our failures. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Incredibly obvious. <laughs> how can we get better by erasing yeah. our failures? <laughs> so, um, shall we look in on? Yeah. Speaking of failures. <laughs> Should we check in on our predictions from last week? Okay, yes. What what was yours? Um, so mine was that there would be an overreaction to the autumn internationals. Here's what I said. I am going to say that at some point in the next week and the next two weeks, there's going to be huge overreaction to the performance of any of the international teams in the autumn internationals 
And to be honest, I can't. I, I think mine needs more time to germinate. And I kind of said that at the time, but mm. yeah, like I think it needs to be like England need to win three games or Scotland need to lose three games or like we need a little bit more. I think if Wales beat um, Australia, then there'll be scope for major overreactions. But mine's mine's a little bit dead in the water. The most strong reaction that I managed to find was that like a random coach might be a bit of a wizard. <laughs> that was it. So, okay. So I'm giving up as a complete failure. Um, I was going to ask actually what what happened. I didn't follow any of the rugby. What happened in the um, um So Scotland lost to Wales, which is frustrating for me, given that I now live in Wales and I'm Scottish. So England narrowly beat South Africa, 12-11. Um, Ireland gave Italy a pump in and New Zealand scored 69 points against Japan but Japan scored 31 so it's not often that you see 100 points in a rugby game but no. there was 100 points in there There was a, a rugby World Cup I think it was the 2010 World Cup where um, New Zealand beat Japan like 120 to 9 or something Okay, so my prediction was about Formula One, and I said, um, so I, I think that there's going to be something about Sebastian Vettel, and is he a choker? And that was another failure on my part. I couldn't find any articles about Sebastian Vettel not being very good at Formula One, which is funny because I found a lot of articles of Vettel saying, Criticism of me is unfair. <laughs> and a lot of articles written by other people saying criticism of Vettel is unfair, but I can't seem to find the actual criticism of Vettel yet. So, um, oh. it's a bit weird. Um, I, I guess see- the criticism isn't him being shit. It's more that he just made a couple. Maybe he just made some mistakes. I was going more for he wasn't very good at Formula One. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, mm. There was Sir. Jackie Stewart, a Formula One legend and a promoter of safe drinking and driving policies, um, did say that he was past his best. Oh. And Sebastian Vettel dismissed that notion and said that he is confident that his best is yet to come, which I'm skeptical of. I'm skeptical of because this would have been the season for it if it was. He won four world championships with a obscenely dominant car. You would think that it probably is not going to get better than that. Yeah, I agree. It would be weird for him to have just like competed for a world championship though, and then be like, "I think that was probably about my best." <laughs> <laughs> but that's what—that's exactly what Nico Rosberg did, though. Nico Rosberg yeah, won, yeah. and he was like. Yeah, I'm retiring. Uh, that's it for me. It's never getting better than that for me. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I think he and just think knew he that right. he wouldn't have. The, yeah, I think he knew he wouldn't have the fight again. You know, like it felt like he proved himself and he could leave the sport. Yeah. And also, like when he won that year, he was just obscenely lucky with his competitors. Well, Lewis Hamilton, like Lewis Hamilton's car just kept dying. Um, yeah. 
and I think Rosberg kind of won the championship and everyone was like, this is kind of bollocks that he's won. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, so bad luck this week. That's rubbish. We were all bad luck, feeling we're good. Shite. Yeah, we're shite. Yeah, maybe we're shite. Maybe we should just stop the podcast. I say that every time we don't do it. I say we should stop the podcast. <laughs> stop the podcast. Yeah, yeah maybe. I'm, I'm overreacting on a podcast called The Great Underreaction. <laughs> I just paused for that. I just went quiet. <laughs> that blew my mind. Oh, dude, blow your mind. Let's go to the fucking Great Underreaction of the Week. Let's do it. Let's go. Uh, okay, so uh, the great underreaction of the week. I'm going to greatly underreact to the this article that came out in the Telegraph on the fifth. So that was yesterday, um, and the headline is: Premier League's fragile competitiveness has been torpedoed by a rearmed and ruthless Big Six. And this is oh. an article written by Jason Barrett, the chief football correspondent for The Telegraph. And in it, he basically says, what's going on? The big six have become so dominant that the old adage of any team beating any other team on its day is frankly dead in the water. Um, and this is basically a story I've seen recurring over the last year. And I went and looked up the past articles I've read on this story. So in reverse chronolo- chronological order, so that was yesterday, that was the Telegraph. And then on the 12th of January this year, uh, another Telegraph writer um, had the headline, Spontaneity and Excitement Are Being Eroded in Increasingly Big Six Dominated Premier League. Uh, six days before that, in the New York Times, there was, in a top-heavy Premier League, more teams rush to the bunker, which I think rush to the bunker must be what um, soccer fans call parking the bus, I think. <laughs> and um, What, what yeah. the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. In October 2017, the Telegraph again, the changing shape of the Premier League, how the big six are pulling away, and the Guardian in June last year, Europe's top leagues are becoming more predictable, so why are we watching? And and that last one, that uh, takes aim at the Premier League, but actually all of the top leagues. Um, so it's not looking pretty good. It seems to be some theme in the uh, out there. I mean, they, all these guys talk to each other, probably. Probably the first guys wrote it, and then everyone was like, oh, I'll write that article. And I don't know why the Telegraph's yeah, so yeah. in on it at the moment. But So the yeah. idea is here is that the top six are so dominant that it's ruining the Premier League and we are deluding ourselves when we say that the Premier League is the most competitive league on the planet. Like, this, that's bullshit. The top, league, the top six are so dominant. I saw a stat last week. This is comes from the uh, reputable statistics authority of a comment that I read on Twitter. Um, <laughs> that, that So maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But he said that the um, 
fourth place in the Premier League is the record most points for fourth. Third is the record most points for third at second, and same for second and first at this stage of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and then the idea here, I, I guess, is that you're hearing less and less about these upsets. So um, uh, the this article um, yesterday, there's this paragraph, I'll just quote this. Since that Burnley game at Stamford Bridge in 2017, there have only been two other upsets at home, at the homes of the big six. Bournemouth also away at Chelsea and West Brom away to United. And sadly for a competition that claims... Any team can be any team. It would be no surprise if it did not happen at all this season. So the problem I have with that is that that's just wrong. Watford, I read that and I was like, well, Watford beat Arsenal at the Emirates last season. So that is another yeah. upset you've just forgotten about. So I don't know what this, this journalist has not done his due, due diligence. Um, and I guess my take on this, just to finish off, and then I'll, I've talked for ages, I'll let you come in now, Callum. Is that that, that, that final that final uh, Guardian article um, that I mentioned from last summer that was kind of railing against dominance in all of Europe's leagues? If you compare the Premier League to the other top leagues in Europe, it is without a doubt the most competitive league. Hmm. So I'm not really worried about the Premier League. Anyone, I still think anyone can still be anyone, but maybe not as frequently as in the past. I'm not sure. Um, but the Telegraph needs to just fucking calm down. I don't know why they've published three articles on the same thing in the last year. So that's my that's my piece. What do you think? So, so you're greatly underreacting to the notion that the top six are very dominant. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm I'm underreacting to like from the point of view of so the Premier League could be more competitive without a doubt. It could be more yeah. competitive. But it's still okay to say the Premier League is the most competitive league in the world of the elite leagues. It absolutely yeah. is. And I'm not really worried. I mean, if you look back in history, like the last recent history of the Premier League, we were talking about a top four, and the top four were set in stone, right? Yeah. It was set in stone, and then Man City came along and kind of upturned it a little bit, and then the recent resurgence of Liverpool and Tottenham have added to it as well. So also in my mind, we've gone from a, a top four to a top six and people are moaning that we're less competitive, which doesn't seriously scan for me. And and the other Yeah, I mean there's only thing. twenty teams there's only twenty teams in the league. So for the top six to be dominant suggests I mean that's quite a high percentage of your league as a as a whole that are that are very, very competitive at the top end of your, your league. Yeah, absolutely. My reaction to this would be that, because I, I would say that the top six are fairly dominant. I would be, yeah, yeah. and I th- in fact, I think I've made this point on a previous podcast, which is like, for all that we talk about the magic of these things, the table tends to stratify broadly along the lines of means and yeah. the richest clubs tend to occupy the top three spots and certainly the top six spots. And then underneath that, you have a sort of broad blob middle. And then the clubs that have come up from the championship don't have the resources to compete and usually go back down. And there are exceptions either way. And like 
Leicester won the, the league and everyone's like, oh, Leicester won the league, oh my fucking God. But apart from that one aberration, I would say that the model has been broadly consistent for an extended period of time. So, you know, I wouldn't underreact to the claim that the top six are hegemonic in them as a unit. No. But I would say that it's absolutely nothing new since the inception of the Premier League, which happened when we were still wearing nappies, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, if you look at the other top leagues, so Syria, it's just been Juventus as far as the eye can see in the recent years, right? Uh, Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, the same. Uh, Spain's had this kind of interesting thing where Atletico sometimes are in and about there. And that's... Um, and then PSG completely dominate the French league, and, and sometimes Monaco pip in. So you've got like in every other league, you've got either one dominant team and maybe two, or you've got two dominant teams and then occasionally a third. And yet we've got the top six yeah. and plus a Leicester miracle in the recent years. And there's just this flood of articles. And if you read these articles, you would believe that there was something like wrong with the Premier League and it's not the most competitive league. I just. I just don't buy into that. Like anyone still can't be it can be anyone. And this art this journalist has just forgotten about games. I don't know. He's a fucking journalist. Like I'm Joe Bloggs on the street and I read his article and I instantly could refute the facts he was putting in it. So I'm I don't like you at the moment. What's his name? Jason Burt. Yeah, fuck you. So I just look at a whole picture of Jason Bart saying "fuck you," drinking a gin and tonic on a Tuesday night. What are we doing here, Callum? I mean, I would say that there are no cases, and and all of those leagues that you had mentioned, which have have probably more established um, hegemons or or dominant teams at the top. Um, there are years of aberration. Mm. Um, like Montpellier won the French League, although that was slightly before PSG's yeah. complete financial dominance. Um, Leicester won, um, to a lesser extent, the the league win of Atletico was going against the grain of Real and Barcelona's means mm. and, and talent levels. But in all cases, what happened after those was that the financially dominant teams, which are become more and more so you know that it's like the wealth in the rest of the country is the same in the footballing world but much more rapid is that the teams that have got deep financial means are extending their advantage over the competition and becoming more and more rich Mm. relative to the rest is that they buy the good players from those teams so the Leicester team that won the league like got stripped of Kante and got stripped of Mares and, and you know, the Monaco team that competed in, in France got stripped of all of its young players. Mm-hmm. And um, even the Atletico team is like, um, or like uh, Borussia Dortmund when they won the league and then their best player, their star striker Lewandowski is getting bought by their rival and their mercurial young talent Mario Goetze is getting brought by their rival, Bayern Munich, because mm. they have the means to, and still have the pool and the kudos to ta- attract the players, even when those players win the league against them. So, mm. you know, and it's the same in the Premier League. The difference is in the Premier League, you have at least three teams, probably four teams, that can go in 
for the high priced players within the league. So like mm. Man City and Chelsea clearly have huge resources. Man United mm. is a less talked about story because the the face of the organization isn't an oligarch, but they have huge financial resources and mm. Liverpool have spent huge amounts in recent years. And Arsenal, you know, spending six hundred million pounds in Tottenham not last year, but have spent many, many millions of pounds. And it goes under the radar because those other teams have so much money. So Hmm. I think at least there's kind of like competition within the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, anyone anyone can lose on a wet Monday night in Stoke Mm -hmm. is still what they say. I mean, the, the truth is that Stoke, whilst having that reputation, were historically pretty bad against the top teams, even under Pulis. Yeah, yeah, they did manage to break Aaron Ramsey's leg, though. So, yeah, they snapped Aaron Ramsey's leg, but like they and they, but they never, they never actually <laughs> took very many points from those games. No. They just sort of kicked you for a while, yeah. and then the top teams almost always beat them. So, so I, I have a uh, something I'm wondering about this. I, we agree that the top six are more dominant. Um, we're we're maybe less concerned that it. Uh, than the Telegraph on how terrible this is. Uh, maybe that would be different yeah. if we were fans of um, teams out of the top six. And uh, maybe maybe yeah. we're biased that way. What I was wondering is, is, is it a question of these teams have become more dominant because they're financially pulling away or they're, they're you know, stepped up a gear in the way they play football? Or is there also been a change on the other end but the teams they play against, it's more common for them to play for a draw. And it it's just now seen as just the thing you do, the culture almost, is when you play against a big team, you just sit and soak up pressure and try and nick a, a goal at the other end. And the big upsets in recent years, you know, they mentioned those Bournemouth ones, you know, the big upsets, the two times Bournemouth beat Chelsea, one, I think once when they were the champions, Bournemouth are the team that are kind of defy the... The trend, right? They're the team that play expansive football again, no matter who they're playing against. So, is it? Do you think there's anything to that? Are our teams more likely to sit and what was it? The Times called it rush, rush the bunker, rush to the bunker. Are teams more likely rush to, to the bunker? <laughs> yeah, rush to the bunker and protect their hot zone PK area, whatever they call it. I don't know what they call it. <laughs> the hot, the hot zone. I'm pretty sure they don't call it the hot zone. But yeah. I don't think you want to call it the heart of The corridor of uncertainty. Um, yeah. I mean, I think certainly the, the standardization of health and fitness is definitely going to have made a difference. I think that, like, the the players generally have high nutrition and good strength and conditioning coaches and workout regimens and their level of fitness is highly competitive and it enables a sort of broader, more tactically savvy deployment of resources. And there definitely is this blueprints and film study at a higher level than there was 25, 30 years ago. So they see what other teams have done successfully and mimic mm. it. Um, so the the kind of like cross league learning or cross European leagues mm-hmm. learning is much higher. 
So I think it does make um, smaller teams have the ability to be more competitive. You know, that sort of set two banks of four and be deeply organized hmm. is is a thing. But I, to be honest, I, I don't know statistically that it's actually borne out with a huge amount of success. Hmm. Teams do dig in and they try and get a draw and they usually get beat one or two or three nil because defending for the whole game is still exhausting. Hmm. And if you give the other team the ball a huge amount, they'll often find a way in. Hmm. I mean, at, at some point, though, like, you, you just, some teams are better than other teams. We shouldn't have a crisis over the fact that, that the better teams beat the chitter teams. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. If you really wanted parity, then you would need to introduce an entirely new organization of the the entirety of football. Yeah, you, you would need Because to... at, the, at the moment... Yeah, you'd need a draft-based system and you'd need salary caps and you would need some sort of academy recruitment system cap. And there is, that ostensibly exists at the moment, but you can buy players when they're 15, 14, 16, yeah. get them to sign their first professional contract with you and there's no limitations on who you can keep on your books. And, we'll, and we'll why. Out, that's the, the Chelsea model. Yeah. Exactly, Chelsea will have you know 150 players on their books, which is is bonkers. Yeah. So uh, I take it you disagree with the other thing I saw. This uh, re- tangentially related to this was Pep Guardiola in an interview. I think it must have been pre-match Champions League interview. Um, Pep Guardiola has denied Manchester City's success is down to spending more money than anyone else, and claimed it is completely wrong. That's in quotes to argue that their achievements have been <laughs> tarnished by fresh allegations that the club have broken financial fair play rules. So uh, do, do you agree with Pep Guardiola there, Callum? I'm sure Pep Guardiola also believes that students who get the best exam results because they went to Eton have absolutely no correlation. Uh-huh. Um, they were just well, well taught, I suppose. <laughs> um, it's just it's fucking, you yeah. know... What can you say? I am the most coveted and expensive coach in the world. I have the most expensive players. It's got nothing to do with how expensive they are. Yeah, it's nonsense. Um, I mean, that's just clearly bollocks. I mean, I suppose what's he supposed to do? He could say, yeah, no, we just like, we see the best players in the world. We say how much, then we play past 10%. And then, you know, we have them all sitting on our bench. Yeah. I mean that's nonsense. I like but I like Pep, but that is nonsense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really like talking. I mean, they bought Mares for how much? Sixty something like million. Fifty million or 50 something. Million, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. everyone was going like, "Do you need him?" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's true. Where does he go? Yeah. And it's you know they just build strength upon strength upon strength. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean they they uh, just lost they lost their best player for weeks and they didn't skip a beat. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne was that injured. Mm. I mean, I I do, I have a weird thing with like, you should want to watch the best teams play against the other best teams. That's why the Champions League should be the best form of football you can have. You should have the best players on the planet collected in teams playing each other and yet increasingly I find that 
I don't watch the Champions League very much, and I do watch the Premier League a lot. Mm. And I don't know if that's just if that's just me, but for some reason the like super club, um, shitloads of cash, playing you know like Juventus against Real Madrid should get your juices flowing. But for me, I'm often kind of like. I'd quite like it if both of them lose and you find yourself supporting Red Star or Belgrave instead, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think they did pretty well tonight, Red Star Belgrade. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah, they beat Liverpool 2-0. Oh, yeah, I did yeah. see that. That was one of the early games. I did see I'm that. completely against early kickoff on Champions League nights because some people have to do bath time and story time and this is just bullshit, okay? I want it to start like it used to, at quarter to eight, and every game be at quarter to eight. I'm, I'm very unhappy with it. Yeah, they realised there's something... I mean, we're not talking about the proposals for the Super League, but we might do that another time. But um, the the monetization boffins are going overtime at the moment because they realize that they can know, sell two different entry points and hit different yeah. markets and they're yeah. looking at international and that's like, markets that's... so there's like what time does yeah. it come on in Beijing and what time does it come on in California yeah. and yeah Nigel de Jong scored exactly. for PSV yeah. Eindhoven against Tottenham though so oh, maybe brilliant. they're definitely not getting out of that maybe group. it's not Nigel de Jong <laughs> um, great well if we want to keep this under an hour then we need to go moving on quite quickly fucking hell yeah I forgot about that right let's go uh, you, have you got any other stories um, yeah so I've got one story that I wanted to bring on um, I, we did just bring that segment to an abrupt abrupt close are we okay with that yes yeah. happy with okay. that right yeah so I did have one other story that I wanted to bring up, which is slightly less serious, but um, here's the here's the headline. Derek, in quotes, the Black Beast, in quotes, I think that's his name. I'm not calling him that, just to be very clear. Derek, the Black Beast Lewis, says he's been having a ton of sex to prepare for his UFC heavyweight title fight with Daniel Cormier. <laughs> in a recent appearance on the Rich Eisen show, UFC heavyweight contender Derek Lewis said that he now has a new cardio regimen, which, at the same time, could also be the possible counter for Daniel Cormier's wrestling when they face each other at UFC 230. I've been doing nothing but cardio, even the sex, Lewis said. The sex really been helping my hips. I know Cormier is a wrestler, so you really got to get them hips down on him. So I've been working on them hips real good. <laughs> there is a standing belief that having sex before a fight could be detrimental to an athlete's performance. Lewis, however, says he has busted this myth. <laughs> Not me. Sometimes, sometimes, a couple times, I had sex the day as I fought. Same day as I fought. Just to see if that myth was right. And it wasn't right. But I was sleepy afterwards. But I still had the energy, though. <laughs> wow. You, you know, that, that is... Uh, 
Is that what you were expecting? Not what you were expecting? Uh, no, but it reminds me, this is weird. It reminds me of something. It reminds me of the, um, you know how sometimes you can see like an article where it says like red beef gives you, uh, red meat gives you cancer. And then you can read an article like the same day and it's like red, red uh, uh, meat makes you less likely to get cancer. I feel like this is happening with this story in that I have seen so many boxers say that they don't have sex or masturbate for ages before a big match. And then Mm. other ones say that's bullshit. And it's like the same thing. Like you can find either one, either um, argument. Basically the guys who are horny are the guys who are going to say like the, um, that sex is really good for you. But there's a great, you know, David Hay had a great quote on this. Um, Hang on here. Let me find it. So David Hay, he was famous on uh, for his um, uh, semen retention uh, strategies. <laughs> okay, this is David Sorry, Hay quote. <laughs> semen retention. Semen retention. I think what, that's what they call it. That's what they call not having a wet dream. <laughs> they they don't have sex or masturbate in the lead up to a fight, right? This, some boxers do this, and this is this is David Hay's. Um, this is a quote from him. Find a lion that hasn't had some food for a while, and you've got one dangerous cat. I don't ejaculate for six weeks before the fight. No sex, no masturbation, no nothing. It releases too much tension. It releases a lot of minerals and nutrients that your body needs. (laughs) (laughs) And it releases them cheaply. Releasing releasing weakens the knees and your legs. Find a lion that hasn't had some food in a while, and you've got a dangerous cat. So they won't... Won't be a drip from me, oh, even in my sleep. If there are girls all over me in my dream, I say to them, "I've got a fight next week. I can't do anything. I can't do it." That's control. <laughs> that's. Him, I've been doing that since I was fifteen, and that's part of parcel of my prep- preparation now. That's why Jesus I am who I am today. Yeah, it's what a deeply <laughs> sexually repressed man. <laughs> so yeah so he's in his dream and he's got some sexy women all over him and he's like no no sexy women in my dream get away from me i've got a fight coming up (laughs) yeah apparently he has a lot of control of his dreams he's got highly lucid dreams then yeah um derek lucid uh derek lewis the black beast yeah um rose to fame or prominence when he won a, a fight and he took his shorts off and he raised one hand in victory and then draped his shorts over his shoulder and Joe Rogan the interviewer for UFC came in and began his interview with Derek why did you take your pants off to which he responded my balls was hot <laughs> oh right that is <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's the same as taking your shirt off in uh, in the Premier League? Do you think if you just whacked your shorts off, then they would also give you a yellow card? Or do you think that would be red? <laughs> well, if if someone took their shorts off in the Premier League, what would happen? Yeah, like if they scored a goal and they took their shorts off, they probably do you think get that a yellow or a red card. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm not saying that they're getting they're going knobite. They'll have they'll have undershorts on. You might get a you know a very by the book steward um, tackle yeah, him to yeah, the ground, yeah. tackle him to the ground for being a streaker. Yeah, yeah. Kieran Trippier scores a goal and then 
paps his shorts off and runs around and then a steward just dump tackles him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, that'd actually be very good for the, the Premier League just for publicity. Yeah. I do actually did yeah. you see talking about getting penalized for taking your shirt off, did you see that um after Leicester scored their they won against Cardiff? And um Yeah. I think the player took, I can't remember exactly it was on the shirt, but it was something along the lines of, you know, like rest in peace or yeah. something. And the guy got booked. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought that was appalling. I thought the referee should have just, there's a, there's room for flexibility, right? And I know that it's it's the sponsors, right? The sponsor for, sponsors have pushed for this because the very moment after you scored a goal is when you're going to get your photo taken and be in the paper. And that's the very moment yeah. you want your your sponsorship to be there. But yeah. I feel like for moments like that, that, they should have just let that go. You know, don't book the yeah, guy for doing a, that. It was Lee Probert. Yeah, you you um, don't need you don't need to change the rules. You just need the referee to say there just to be like, no, I wasn't going to do that, and nothing would have happened. Who would have complained? Who would have dared complain? I don't imagine complaining. He took his yeah. shot. He should have been booked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine no, Adidas, Adidas getting like they're never going to do it. You should. It was a, they needed a, a human moment there to just not book the player. Um, what he should have done is ride it on his shorts and whip them off instead. Because we've cleared up that we we don't know how to deal with that. Yes, they, so he would have been like, "Oh, I don't know if that's a yellow or a red card. I'll just leave it just now and ask for further advice." <laughs> Then again, might might not be that respectful. Maybe you could do it if you you tattooed your sponsor underneath your shorts. Maybe the sponsor what, like would those people who get, uh, you know, they get like Nando's tattoos <laughs> and then get free Nando's for life. Are you joking me? These people exist. Yeah, no, there was. A, it wasn't Nando's, but there was a thing. Um, it was like a taco place or a one of these like fast foods like not chipotle but something like that and they did a, a thing that was like if you get a tattoo then you get free burritos for life and wow. apparently in in russia loads of people did it so they so they had to stop it, <laughs> but, <laughs> to the, stop it. the russians didn't give a fuck <laughs> but, <laughs> fucking loads of them in russia it was like loads of russians came in with tattoos of this <laughs> Oh, brilliant! What uh, what food stuff? I mean, you can't eat anything because you're mm-hmm. vegan. But um, well, you're not vegan because of the shingly bones. But you're close mm-hmm. to vegan. What fast food or any restaurant outlet would you get a tattoo of to get free oh. meals there for life? Oh man! There's a place here called Doctor Noodles. That does uh, a really good Thai green curry tofu uh, noodle box. <laughs> so it, it's not a nationwide chain. Uh, it, it's it is if you count Fife as a separate kingdom from Dundee, <laughs> <laughs> because Richard the kingdom of Fife there's, there's, like, there's the Saint Andrews Doctor Noodles and there's the Dundee Doctor Noodles. So uh, right, it's it's known as a multinational, I believe. Doctor Noodles, I'd go for that. Right, that's an incredibly you? bold call. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's actually no for. good because I want it to be like where I should really go for, like, something that's all around the world. So no, then no matter where I go on holiday, I can, 
you know. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, McDonald's or. Um, I can't eat anything at McDonald's. I don't know. You would, you would want something that was was fairly accessible everywhere, but also food that you could eat. But then you know, if you got like a Pret a Manger tattoo, then it would be the like a middle class <laughs> brand. Yeah. So every time you met someone and they saw your Pret a Manger, they would be like, Are you, "And you're telling me you're working class?" And I'd be like, "No, I am working class. I've just got a Pret a Manger tattoo." <laughs> and it's to save money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It costs too much, but I got this, and now it's free. Yeah, you're right. I would reclaim the class identity there. I wonder what the, the payback is. So how much does a tattoo cost? And then how many years will, of pret eating will it take to pay off your tattoo? Well, a tattoo, I would guess, would cost between 80 and £120, depending on the size. So it's really only three meals in pret <laughs> That's true. pret is actually a really good show. I think I might change my answer to pret <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like genuinely my go-to if I'm somewhere I don't know. I just get my phone out and Google Pret Manger because yeah. they've always got like a vegan salad or something. Yeah, do you know that? Yeah, the, plus, there's eight hundred million of them. So, you know, um, our good friend Steve Steve Gardner, he yep. had a, he always said that if you got one tattoo, there's only one tattoo you'd ever get, and it would be a tattoo of a bigger penis on his penis. <laughs> I remember him saying that, being like, "I don't think that makes sense, Steve." <laughs> it's uh, all about anyway, yes, yeah, so... <laughs> Steve. Let's be honest, Steve would be in the back of the queue with all the fucking Russians getting the burrito. <laughs> I think he would. It's a niche reference because most of our listeners won't know who Steve is. But yeah, I don't think he listens to this, so we're safe. No fuck. Fuck him. Okay. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, have one, to, or... I have one very quick uh-huh. article. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One very quick article. So, it's um, this was from The Knowledge on The Guardian. You ever read The Knowledge, Callum? No. It's, um, it's basically fans ask questions the week before or even a few weeks before, and then other fans get to ask answer those questions and all of the answers get put in a column and the column's called The Knowledge. And it's basically esoteric football um, trivia. But there was a good one this week. And it was... Um, there was a... Last week, there was um, an article about... I think it was Steve Bruce. Someone threw a cabbage at Steve Bruce. Did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a question on The Knowledge and it was... Um, you know, what other foodstuffs have been thrown at which managers, right? And they, they had this mystery that they, they didn't know why this would happen happened in a, I think it was a Dutch game, um, FC20 game uh, last season. They didn't know why there were chilies thrown on the pitch, and it was kind of a mystery. And the mystery has been answered this week on The Knowledge. And FC's 20 match against um, Willem II last March uh um, Stefan van Bakel and Ben Dudley got in touch with the answer, and they said, "With a club, with the club only a few weeks away from relegation, the supporters threw red chilies at their players and held up a flag which said, "Stick these peppers up your ass and save them, save us from relegation.'" They did get relegated. 
<laughs> so, my oh, question is, they didn't stick them up their arms. <laughs> what foodstuff would you throw on the pitch to save your team from getting relegated? Oh, and you know, oh. also they have and suggest they stick it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, I might throw on some overpriced Pret-a-Manger salads because I'm getting them for free now. <laughs> so I would, I would just throw the like salmon uh, avocado salads on and just hope that mm. it, it inspires my team. Um, I don't know. Do you have a good answer? No, I don't have a good answer. I was asking you. I haven't thought about it. I just enjoyed the story. Chili's up, up the arse is a pretty good thing, isn't it? Yeah, stick these these peppers up your arse and save us from relegation. That's a great flag. Um, great flag. I might, um, going back to our previous episode, I might just get some, like, you know, some sweets, like some Haribo or something, but inject it with testosterone. And throw it onto the pitch and make sure that my my team's testosterone levels rose because okay. maybe the opponent had a pink dressing room or something. Yeah. It's and like that's what why we were losing. Oh, it's a little. It's a like a little. Um, uh, what's the word? A repository? Is that what they call it? An LA. Suppository, isn't it? Is that a, yeah? I can't remember. A repository, something. If else. it's going up the, if it's going up your arse, then it's. It's a suppository, and your yeah. anal sphincter is the repository. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the English lesson. <laughs> yeah, you got to use a little Haribo suppository. You could put in some some cocaine. Or no, something. actually, it was stupid thinking about it. If the <laughs> if you're trying to get the testosterone levels up, you need to throw something like a Yorkie bar on. Lion <laughs> bar. Yes, <laughs> Yorkies for men. Oh, is it your um, your? Yeah, so it is. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like yeah. Nestle based chocolate Nestle. products. <laughs> that that weird caramel thing with the red and gold wrapping. Yeah. <laughs> oh di- dames. Dams. Is that where they are? Yeah. Is it, is, was I it just it was called like, a dime? I thought it was called a caramel. Oh no, Caramax fake chocolate. Cam, we're supposed to be getting under an hour. Let's fucking move on, okay? The trope of the week. Let's do it. Minutes. Trope of the no, week. but we've got, okay. we've got the wee bit before that as well. Trope yeah, of the yeah, week. Yeah. No, I included, I included that. I added them together. Oh, so uh, this week's trope of the week is one that I've thought about a lot. And I think you might have some examples of it too. But it is mm. players getting injured whilst celebrating. Oh. So the story which I first saw to make me think about this was uh, recently in the MotoGP, first mention of MotoGP on this. Um, Mark Marquez won his fifth MotoGP title, and it was his third in the row after claiming victory in Japan. He won, and then, <laughs> and then whilst doing his uh, celebratory lap, had a collision with a... Uh, another rider and fell and got really badly injured. <laughs> so I think he broke his leg. Um, another example of this was uh, relatively recently the Roma boss Eusebio Di Francesco 
broke his hand celebrating an equaliser after punching a perspex <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, in, the, uh, in the Daily Mail Online, a terrible uh, publication that we visit so you don't have to, they said that he took the meaning of passion to another level during an enthralling 3-3 draw with Atlanta, Atalanta on Monday. He required surgery on his broken left hand after he punched the Perspex panel while celebrating Costas Manolas' equaliser. Um, so that one made me, me laugh. Like, it's a funny thing that you are so elated and overcome with a joyful emotion that you have to punch something so hard that you break your hand. But there you go. And my favourite one uh, recently has been uh, the Green Bay Packers wide receiver, Jake Kumaro. So he was like a, a sort of, he looks a little bit like Jesus. If you get time, Google Jake Kumaro. But he's an undrafted guy, which means he's like a, he's an unheralded guy. He's trying to make the team and he was doing quite well. He's a wide receiver, which means he catches the ball. And it was in the preseason where these guys try and make it onto the final squads. And he, he caught the ball for uh, and scored a touchdown in a preseason game, I think the third one. And he, whilst he was scoring the touchdown, decided to celebrate by doing a forward roll into the end zone. And he sprained his AC joint in his shoulder <laughs> as he was doing this celebratory forward roll. <laughs> And then ended up needing <laughs> surgery and being placed on injured oh. reserve and not making oh. the roster because in his moment of glory, he tried to do a like fucking stupid forward roll and dislocated, not dislocated, but um, sprained his shoulder at the same time. I've often thought that there must be players who have... You know when players score goals and they do the big knee slide? Mm. I've always thought someone's going to fucking pop a quad mm. at some point doing that mm. stupid knee slide thing. The, the, front, the front flip. Um, I always think that when a player does a front flip. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for Obama Yang to... Because he's a big um, forward somersault when he scores. Just waiting for him, someone to not really be paying yeah. attention. And I'm to like fully karate kick someone <laughs> right in the face. <laughs> the boot yeah. Full of studs. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it's in players' contracts not to celebrate too uh, vigorously. Because there's all sorts in there now. You know, you're not allowed to go skiing. You're not allowed to do this or that. Um, and then it's just going to take the first player who does a front flip, lands awkwardly, breaks their ankle. And, uh, and then it'll be in everyone's contract. That is hilarious. The poor guy. What was the guy's name for yeah, Green yeah, yeah. Bay? That poor guy. I feel so bad for him. Like um, Jake, Jake Kumarol. Kumarol. Can't a roll more like? Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad for him. That's such a shame. Oh well. Um, I actually can't think of a single example. I've tried to wreck my brains. I can't think of uh, any that I can remember. So there was one, um, a guy called Martin Palermo um, scored a a goal 
and then he tried to celebrate and he broke his um his leg he like jumped up to celebrate with some fans and then a concrete wall collapsed on him and he broke his oh, tibia and tibia. <laughs> <laughs> but that's at least not him doing something stupid mm, himself yeah um uh Lua do you remember oh, yeah. Lua he played for yeah. portsmouth um he once Badly hurt his ankle trying to do a triple somersault after scoring a goal. So that was your wow. somersault one. Triple. Um, triple. Just like he didn't have a little trampoline on the sideline. He can't have done a triple somersault. <laughs> yeah, can can't, how could he manage that? Um, uh, Celestine Babayaro, who played for Chelsea. Um, broke his leg trying to do a somersault <laughs> so celebrates growing a goal. maybe the triple maybe the triple was <laughs> he tried to do you know three on the in a row oh yeah maybe he did one then another and yeah. then the third one he he fucked himself yeah. yeah um and there's a couple instances of players there was one um paulo diogo like just basically never jump into barriers <laughs> Because he jumped up on a barrier and got his uh, wedding ring stuck. <laughs> Severed oh, his no. finger. What? Oh no! What? Steward, the stewards later found it, but the doctors couldn't uh, couldn't reattach it. And going back to the topic of um, poor yellow cards, <laughs> the referee gave him a yellow card for wasting no. time <laughs> with excessive celebration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. Um. Zlatan Ibrahimovic once sprained his arm pumping his fist too enthusiastically after scoring a spectacular goal. <laughs> Imagine spraining your arm pumping your fist. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, there's some good ones. Definitely. So that was uh, that was my oh, idea for a trip of I enjoyed all of those. Um, oh yeah, I remember this one. Thomas Levey once um, gave himself a serious injury winning uh, the French Open. So he won by a single shot on the last hole, and he and this is something golfers do semi regularly. So he sunk the the tournament winning putt, and then went and jumped into the nearby lake from the 18th green, but he, sm- he smashed his shin on the rocks and needed surgery. Oh. <laughs> There's something really poetic about it. the like grandiose display of joy at your personal achievement and then just immediately hurting yourself. It's like karma immediately <laughs> throws you, yeah. you down. Um, Ted Ginn Jr., this, I'll make this last one because I know I've listed lots of them. But Ted Ginn Jr. is an American football player. He's a very fast guy. And he returned the kickoff for a touchdown. And he was enjoying the, the end zone. And one of his p- colleagues come and, like, play tackled him. And he sprained, <laughs> he sprained his ankle from the play tackle. Oh. His, like, colleague came up and was like, oh, well done. And, like, gave him a push and he fell over oh, and sprained no, his ankle. That's such a shame. That's worse. That's like your your colleague fucking you over. 
rather than you. I'd be more angry at that. Yeah. Yeah, at least um at least what's his name? Uh Jake Kumaro did his own forward flip. <laughs> yes. Um Yeah, like no one else did it for him. Um okay. All right. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> a really good one. Of uh this guy Aubrey Hoff in a a baseball game. So they, they have bullpens in baseball. And he tries to leap over the the metal railings to jump onto the pitch, and he sprained his knee <laughs> <laughs> to go like you know like run on the pitch and celebrate. He like goes to jump over the thing, lands awkwardly, and <laughs> like tears his knees. Did it? I like oh, those ones. I like also like the injuries where it's um, the ones that happen at the home, and they're completely banal. Um, I'm pretty sure didn't Vieira have an injury and he got injured because he watched TV for like four hours and stood up too quickly or something like that. That I love those yeah. ones as well. Just like, what were you, what did you do? If my, my friend Pierre, who sometimes listens to this, but um, if Pierre's listening, the best example I know in the real world is him because he had this like ongoing knee pain for like six to nine months from bending down to put laundry in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in the middle yeah, of the that. day. He was going to do laundry and he was like, oh yeah. Life is hard, like, man. Yeah. Terrible human. Jason Pierre-Paul, who's a famous NFL player, um, was at home and set off a firework in his hand <laughs> and lost most of the fingers oh, in his no. hand. That's a pretty bad. I thought Mar- Mario yeah, Balotelli. Yeah, he's, he's Mario Balotelli, fingers. I thought, was the king of fireworks in the home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he set them off in a toilet, to didn't he? <laughs> I think that's that was the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He set them off. Back How is that guy doing? I hope he. I hope he's well. Marshall. I hope he's well. I'm sure Mario. he's doing fine. <laughs> okay, Andrew. We have been terrible at predictions last mm-hmm. the last week. Um, so let's let's concentrate, let's channel some good stuff and get back on form. I need you to find whatever depth of your bottom that you pulled <laughs> out that Jack Wilshire prediction and, and bring it back to us. So what's your uh, what's your prediction for this forthcoming couple of weeks? Okay, so my prediction is um, about Thierry Henry, oh, who is now king. manager of Monaco. The king. The king. So as we've been recording, uh, the final whistle blew in their Champions League fixture against uh, Bruges, and Monaco lost 4-0. To Bruges. To Bruges. Oh, my God. And it's not only only Monaco's heaviest Champions League defeat ever, it was against Bruges. I mean, so they've... um, They've not been doing well this season. I think they're in the relegation zone in uh, Ligue 1. And uh, Henri is winless in his first five games in charge. And this is his third defeat. So this has got to be a nailed-on prediction, Callum. Yeah. There must be, in the next couple of weeks, Henri, he's for the sack. There must be an article for that. Yeah, what we'll see first is a Henri's job safe article come out. Yeah. Monaco not thinking of sacking Henri. 
and that means that they're definitely thinking about sacking. Yeah, I would, I would, I would class that as a Henri's <laughs> sack article. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's a good shot. I mean, I think that uh, Monaco are clearly in a deep dive rebuild, and he's got mm-hmm. a lot of work to do. But they have been abjectly tragic, from what I've I've read. I've not watched yeah. Monaco. And that was before Henri was manager. So he, what they haven't had is, you know, sometimes when the new manager comes in, there's instant turnaround, and they haven't had mm. that. Mm. I'm, and the problem that he's got to deal with is the he's got the like recent enough history of them being a exciting, compelling, competitive team, and. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, their fans and their ownership are sort of like, we were good, and then we've suddenly become shit. And even though they're clearly in deep dive rebuild kind of mode, as you have less leash to deal with than that, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Um, so my prediction is to do with Wayne Rooney has an England recall um, for the forthcoming pointless international break um he's going to be brought back into the england squad for the friendly match against the united states um in order to give him an emotional farewell um this follows uh gareth southgate in september announcing a fresh cycle of probably not going back to the players who've been in before um, but obviously they've thought that it's a good idea to eulogise one of the great English servants. So I just want to point out that um, Wayne Rooney's international career has not been good. So apart from Euro 2004, which he was the youngest scorer in the competition, scoring twice in England's second group match against Switzerland, where they won 3-0, and... Um, a record which he held for... How long do you think he held that record for, Andrew? Youngest scorer in the UEFA Euros. I think he held it for one week. He held it for less than one week. He held it for four days. But he was, um, you know, being a young scorer counts for something. He was he was mm. pipped four days later by the Swiss midfielder... Um, well, I mean, I th- I'm sure you can guess, but you, shall I just say it? It was Johan have, von Lanth- Johan von Lanthen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. So, apart from that, I, I I really don't think that he's done fuck all for the England national team, which has not won anything. And the best performance that they've had is the first time he's not played in 14 years. He is he uh, not also, a, is he not their record scorer though? Well, in major tournaments. No, no, I just mean, I mean overall. He scored. He's. I mean, he's got a lot of like flat track bullies. Um, I don't know if he is the. He is England's all time top scorer, but he's not their um, top scorer in um, major tournaments. Uh, I'm pretty sure that would be Gary Lineker. Yeah, um, he despite having captained the team for a long period of time and having been, I think we can probably say for the last what four or five years he was shoehorned into the team because he was the captain. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he has been underwhelming and has never performed well at a major tournament after 2004. So I don't know why you would decide to bring him back to eulogize him. But he will be deeply eulogized. That's my prediction, is that um, like England are the, giving Rooney the send-off he deserves, um, testament to great service, um, recognition as one of the best players of all time, um, England's Boat. great servant, etc. Okay, that's a good shout. What did you shout there? Vote. Goat. Goat, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah goat. Uh, hashtag goat. Hashtag greatest. Scoring five goals against Panama. Kind of. Serious. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my that's my prediction for the forthcoming break for the next episode. Great. Um, all right, so I think all all that leaves us to say is to uh, share the podcast if you like it. Yeah, get in touch on Twitter at at Andy S underscore GU or at Callum underscore GU. Yep, and uh, review us on iTunes only if you like it. Don't give us a shit one. If you go on iTunes, you can uh, search for a Great Underreaction and leave us leave us a wee review. Leave us a wee review. And also, if you're listening to the podcast, um, make sure you tell us because it makes me feel really good. Yes. And this week, actually, I think we said that at the end of last week, and this week, loads more people talked to me about it. So I'm very happy with that, about that. Yeah, I had three or four people tell me that they thought it was funny that I had absolutely no interest in you participating in my list. Apparently that was the best bit of last episode is I had a list and you wanted to guess the list and I didn't want you to guess the list. <laughs> I said, is this, Callum, is this Callum shares his truth? And you said, no, this is just Callum has the list. And uh, that was apparently the funniest that's gonna, moment. That's going to be a new episode uh, section. Callum's Callum list. has the list. <laughs> Callum has the list. Yeah. Um, yep so do share uh, comment give us your feedback um, if you have any ideas for things that we should cover if you come across any stupid articles do send them to us um, all of our episodes are available on our wordpress site which is andrew the great underreaction.wordpress.com great there we go and uh, thanks yeah. for listening I think it'll get to under one hour so um, well done to us, and we will see you next time. Do you want to say goodbye? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking I goodbye, might. then. I'll <laughs> <laughs> just leave that all in. Do you want to say goodbye? <laughs> no? And then that'll be it. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs>
Oh, 